Hi, friends. Thank you for saying hi back. Sometimes it's like an island up here. Appreciate that. Um, welcome to 3 John. Can you even believe it that we are here? Um, I am thankful that we are here today. And you know what? I'm going to be honest, which is good, right? If you're teaching Bible study, it's like a thing. Um, I'm going to tell you this. There's been a couple times, I'm sure I'm all alone in this, so this is actually a confession. There's been a couple times, once or twice, over the last um, 10 weeks, where I've been like, really, God? Like, seriously? Why are we studying this? This first, second, third John? I am so over this. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. You can be honest. I'm telling you I'm the one with the microphone. I'm saying it. This week, I figured out why. This week, I figured out why. Uh, We needed these words from John. Um, Anyone this week been on the internet? Anybody? Anyone? Anybody been there? Okay. If you haven't, I am so happy for you, you people. Um, Let me pray, and then we're going to talk about that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, you reign, Lord. Man, is that all we need to hear today? I, I, that's, that's, I needed to hear that today. No matter what is happening in this crazy world, God, you reign. Hallelujah. Lord, um, we thank you for truth, and we thank you for love, and we thank you that in this world, as dark as it seems, that you are a light for both. God, show us today um, what you want us to learn about you through the third letter of John And Lord, um, as we walk out today, I beg, I beg, beg for you to show us how to do fully loving, fully truth, full of grace. Show us how to do that because we are broken and we can't do it without you, Lord. And we beg for all these things in your precious son's name. Amen. Okay, so back to the internet thing. I think we needed to pray first before we did that. Um, So... This week, how, okay, you know, all right, last week, fully love, fully truth. How about God's timing? Anybody? Anybody see anything this week that made you go, wow, God, you planned that perfectly. He did. He planned it perfectly. You see, this week, if you're one of the people that didn't have to raise your hand about being on the internet, then you may not be aware that there's a huge controversy happening right now in our church. And when I say church, I mean in this church, in every church. I'm talking big C church, guys. And if you haven't looked into it, I I suggest that you do. Um, Jen Hatmaker, popular, awesome, maybe the funniest person, like, around if you're on Twitter. Like, come on, guys. She's so funny came out with some really strong opinions this week about some stances that she is taking that are different than stances she had taken previously, and she's taken a lot of heat for it. Um, We're not going to go into all the mudslinging, and we're not going to go into all the details, but I am going to say this. Um, It's dividing our church. It's dividing our church, the big C church. And it's, it's, it's painful and it's hard, but at the same time, God is so cool, guys. Because last week, you, right here, us, right here, what did we do? We talked about this, all this paper down here in front of me, not trash, prayers. Prayers that have been lifted up and continue to be lifted up about, I need more love. I hit people over the head with truth, God, I need more love. Or how about the people that are super good at love and grace, but they just kind of ignore some truth, right? And then God says, hey guys, guess what? I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm going to divide. I'm going to allow things to happen that break hearts. And that's what's happened this week. I'll tell you, um, when I started reading the Internet this week, and when I say reading the Internet, I mean, guys, everywhere you look, right? Every blog, every social media platform, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. Um, Well, there's one way that I felt best demonstrated how I was feeling about all of it. And um, do you have the picture of me at the zoo? See that picture? There I am. Look, guys. There I am, having a tantrum. So cute. And my Cubs thing. So cute. 
Okay, I had to lighten it up because here's the thing. Sweet Patrick and our precious Nicole, that's their baby girl. And y'all, go, go lay hands on them and pray for them. They have a two-year-old. <laughs> and Patrick about killed me. I'm not kidding you. I kept telling him, I'm like, you are helping the internet not be broken forever for me this week. Because everything I pulled up was just awful and mudslinging. And then I pulled this up and I went, that's how I feel about all of this. Anybody else feel this way? Right? Terrible twos. Having a tantrum. Guys, I was on the floor having a tantrum this week. And I'll tell you what. Um, I met with our, our gracious leader, Don, and we prayed hard over how to... you got to move that picture out because they're not going to listen to a word I say without looking at that baby. She's so precious, that Dottie. Here's the thing. We wanted to go there with you and let you know this. You are loved and you are welcome in this place, no matter where you fall. You got that? Are we clear about that? If there's nothing else you walk out of here, will you understand that Rock Point Church is deeply committed to building a safe place for you to know and experience Jesus, the incarnate truth, right? And we want you to be able to consider and dig into the Bible, the written truth, Can we leave here with that understanding? Because here's what we want you to understand. There are a lot of places that people are going this week, and honestly, they're heartbreaking to me. And I'm going to try not to cry because I'm just going to try real hard. But I'll say this. Um, I will promise you, no matter where you fall on the love and the truth thing, no matter where you fall on all of this, you are most definitely wrong somehow. Okay? Most definitely We are all wrong in some way. What's the only, only real truth, guys? Big T truth. That's Jesus. So when you approach people behind the safety of a keyboard most of the time nowadays, I want you to consider that, that we are all somehow getting it wrong. Josh Garrels, one of my favorite singers, says this, we are all castaways in need of rope. All of us. Listen, um, when you go and you look and you read, I want you to remember what we studied last week, right? We studied love and truth. And, and I will encourage you as well to go take a look at Jenny Allen and her response on behalf of if. I, I want you to read that because I, not because um, you may not agree with her position, and she doesn't back down from her position, but you know what she does well that I haven't seen anyone else do, and I've read a lot of blogs and I've read a lot of opinions, and they all make me sick. And you know what she does well? She does this. She says, we all mess up, guys. But what is it that we know? And that's kind of what we need to focus on, right? What do we know? Um, her quote goes like this, and I thought, I thought it was brilliant. And I hope you take this in. And I hope you go look and read her response. And read Jen's, too. She says this. Jenny Allen says this. It is requiring something that we are not well practiced in. Holding the tension between grace and and truth. We have a decent amount of practice with grace, some of us more than others, right? We have more practice dumping truth everywhere and mixing the two together feels so impossible that we usually just choose one. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Here's the thing, guys, and and I say this for me, and I think I speak for Rock Point Women's Ministry when I say this, be less concerned about being right And be more concerned about who you are glorifying in the midst of your responses, in the midst of the words that you're sharing, in the the likes and all those things. Will you think about it for a minute? Are, are, Are we bringing glory to the Lord or are we getting down in the mud with the people that we say we despise? Because both sides are ugly right now. Jesus came to serve. And you know what? Here's the thing. When he came... He came to serve, and he came to save, didn't he? And that's where we are now. Like, Jesus came, he saved, and that's where we are now. But guess what, guys? He's coming back. And you know what he's going to do when he comes back? Are you ready for this? You might want to write this down. This is what he's doing when he's coming back. He's going to be judge and jury, and you are not. Okay? We're not. Take the burden off. It's, like, kind of great to not have to worry about that. That's all his thing. Don't take that from him. Listen, I'm going to say this, and these are my words, so sorry, Dawn. It is easier to call names and to criticize the perceived enemy, isn't it? It's easier to tear down the opposition when I'm passionate about something, isn't it? It's easier to be blind, either in love or truth. But it's braver 
to repair damaged souls by fullness of truth and love. It's braver to surprise a watching world in unity. How about unity? When we disagree, how about unity in Jesus Christ? That will blow the world away. They won't even know what to do with that. It is braver to take the exhausting way and swim upstream when the world invites us along with them down the easy road into the gutter. What do you do? Who are you glorifying? It's less about who is right here, and it's more about who you are pointing to. Listen, how to approach this. I'm going to say this, and then we're going to move on to 3 John, because I know y'all are so excited because you've just had so much fun in these letters, and ooh, we can't wait, right? I am going to say this. How do we approach this moving forward as women of faith, as women who follow Jesus Christ? What do we do with this, with this division? What do we do? Let me give you a couple things. Um, one, if you have questions about where Rock Point stands on this particular issue, if you have questions about where Rock Point Women's Ministry stands on this particular issue, Dawn is here today to answer those questions. We will not back down from that. Not my place to say those right now, but we're here. And we'll answer those questions. So will you come find her? She's here. Come find me. I'll come find her. Let you talk to her. The other thing I would suggest, and this is, um, this is my suggestion to all of us, check your sources. Check your sources. Um, do you read or listen to someone whose opinion you agree with 100%? Do you lean on someone else's understanding, or do you trust in the Lord? You know, I, especially a few years ago, I was, I was really passionate about certain things. And I've, I've mentioned before, like I have very very specific opinions on, on a polarizing topic, and it's suicide. Because you know why? Because it's my history. Because I've lived it. Because I've been the aftermath. So what do I carry? I carry a lot of feels, don't I? I have a lot of emotions tied up in that topic. And when you start saying something that I don't think is truth, what do I want to do? I want to blast. But can I just tell you that we all have those hot buttons. We all have those things. Check your sources. Check who you're listening to. Check who you're, who you're retweeting. Check who you're, you're sharing people information. Um, just, just pause. And that's the next thing. Pause and pray. Dawn said that. I thought, wow, that's, such, that's easy. I mean, I want to get a marker and write it on my hand. Pause and pray. When I talk about those hot button topics, do you know how many times I have sat down at a keyboard because really, right, we're all really brave behind a keyboard. I have sat down and I have banged out a response and I'm ready to send it. And I stand up and go, okay, step away and pray. Ten years ago, Chris wouldn't have stepped away and paused and prayed. And ten years ago, Chris probably did a lot of damage. I'll be honest. And I'm sorry if any of you are here. Um, Pause and pray. Step out of your feelings and your experiences for just a minute because sometimes we commit spiritual suicide, don't we? Sometimes we say or do something, both sides, guys. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm talking both sides. Sometimes we say or do something that can damage someone so deeply that they don't ever want to see another Christian and they don't ever want to step in a church and they don't ever want to hear what anybody has to say. Right? So pause and pray before you respond, before you speak. Do more listening than talking, Chris. Some of us with big mouths need to be reminded of that. Ask yourself this question, what is my motive here? What is my motive here? We are talking about a touchy subject, and a lot of us have opinions about it. And that's beautiful. Because right here, guys, when you leave, walk up here. It is so diverse. Some of us are so good at loving. Some of us are so good at caring truth in our hearts. Some of us, we need more of both. Amen? But let me tell you, you've got to ask yourself what your motive is. Because oftentimes we are humans, and oftentimes our motives are not what we think they are. Is my motive that I'm trying to make you believe my point of view? Is my motive that I want to call names? Is my motive to seek to make his name known? Is my motive... To love like Jesus loved is my motive to truly find truth and share truth. Trust him, okay? Trust him. 
All of it. It's, it's bumpy. The next few weeks are going to be bumpy. We've got an election. I don't know if y'all have heard about that, but there's this election. It's also a little divisive. Again, we should just take a break from the internet or from just everything, right? I'll tell you this. If I have ever, I say this, we can trust him. You know why? Because he prepared us and he equipped us. And last week was no joke and last week was no accident that we studied John 1.14 talking about Jesus is full of what? Full of grace, love, full of truth. No coincidences. So trust him. There's one person gaining ground here and it's the enemy and we need to stop it. So let's walk out and stop it. Thank you. I'm gonna end, before I go into John 3rd John, I'll say this one thing. So my brother has nothing to do with this story. My brother, he lives in Colorado, and he has this insane amount. You've heard me talk about him before. He has this crazy amount of mining knowledge. Like he bought a piece of land that he built his home on. It's beautiful, but it's on this mining um, piece of land. There's like a, an active gold mine on his prop. He's crazy land, but brilliant. I see some of you that know him are <laughs> nodding your head. Here's what he, I went to his house one day and I walked up into his room and I want you to think about this image for a minute, okay? I walked up in his room and he had this weird, like, you ever seen railroad spikes? Like, you know what I'm talking about? I was going to bring one, I forgot. Um, Well, he had one that was like this long and it's like in this beautiful wooden box, like mounted on his wall. Oh, and I walked by and I'm like, dude, what? (laughs) This rusty giant piece of metal. What is that? You know, he told me it was. Don't tell. If you knew this, crazy. I can't believe you know this. But he said, that's a double jack. And I'm like, what's a double jack? And he said, oh, okay. So we, again, if you ever read my brother, if you ask him a question, sit down and relax. You're going to be there for a little bit. I'll try to make it short. But this is what he said, and this is what I kept thinking about when I was thinking about um, the love grace girls and the truth girls. I thought about this double jack. And back in the days of mining, before they had... Um, equipment that was, you know, you know, battery operated or whatever. They had muscle, didn't they? They had sledgehammers and they had these double jack things. And I'm telling you, it looks like a railroad railroad thing, like this big. And it's kind of like a big giant nail. And it has like a, I, I wish I would have had it, but y'all would have all been so scared because it's so big. It had a big spike at the end and then it has like a flat, like almost like a nail top. And he said, oh, well, this is what they would do. So when they're, ba- they're moving through this rock, there's one guy with a two-pound sledgehammer, 20-pound sledge. I guess two's not very big. One big sledgehammer. I don't know, guys. My head is struggling. And then there's a guy holding the double jack. And his, it's, the, it's called a steel. And his job is to hold it while the guy hits it with the sledgehammer because they're trying to burrow in and make a tunnel. Okay? So who wants to be this guy? Remember, this is like in the 1800s. It's super dark. Like they didn't have a light switch or anything. And so I asked my brother, I'm like, how did they do that? And he goes, well, you know, they had some lanterns and things like that. He goes, but this is what is crazy about the double jack process. It's the guy holding the steel. You know what his job is? His thumb sits on top of the flat part of the jack. And when he moves it is when the sledgehammer guy knows to hit. That's how, because it's a visual cue. Because it's so dark, he can't go, okay, hit now, and it's really loud. And so that's the process. He sits here, and he goes, and they have this system. And I'm sure there was a lot of thumbs lost. But I'm thinking, and they took turns, I hope, because we're all about fairness, right? (laughs) But I kept thinking about us, and I thought, we need to be a team, you know? We're, We're the big C church, guys. We are Jesus followers. We are difference makers for the glory of the Lord, not to get bloody and fist fight over things that are not about salvation. I want to be able to stand here with the truth girl and the love girl and know that one of them ain't going to try to hit that thumb, but instead she's going to try to do it right when he moves it. You know, we're going to have this system where we work together and we build each other up. Who are we becoming? I want to leave you with that thought. I will leave you with that and, and we'll launch into this text. But I just want you to consider that as you walk through hard times as a believer. Because guys, it's hard to be a believer. Amen? It's hard right now. But what do we have that the world doesn't have? We have Jesus Christ who conquered death on our behalf. And we know how it ends. 
So saying that, who are you going to be? Are you the sledgehammer guy? Are you the thumb mover? Let's work together and let's quit beating each other up with big equipment. Thank you. And now let's open up to 3 John. I hope I beat that horse enough. All right, guys. Had to start that way. But the baby picture, though, right? I mean, that was cool. Listen, um, we're going to go through this quickly because why? It's short. Yay! <laughs> Cheers from, uh, from the morning group. I mean, from the evening crew over here. Um, 3 John. Open up your Bibles to 3 John. Again, blown away, right? God's got something to say to us. I think in our leader group, um, I think it was Amy who said, which I totally agreed, there's times when I was doing this homework this week, and I'm like, really, God, why did we include this one? Like, some of these you're like, really? This, why is this in here? Well, what do we know? What do we know about what's included in God's Word? That it's important and that we need every word of it. So there's a reason we're studying these three guys. There's a reason we're studying this letter this week. And so let's figure out what that is. Okay? Shall we? All right, let's do this. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at some background, kind of like we did with Second John. Okay? Written again by John, who, how does he refer to himself? The elder, again, right? Same thing. We have 1 John. We have a letter that was more than likely written to multiple churches and passed around communities of churches. The second letter, we're not entirely sure if it was written to one particular church or one particular family, but we do know that it had a much smaller audience, more than likely, even if it was passed around, the original one, John 1, was intended to be passed around. And now we've even, we've even put the filter down a little more, right? Now we're writing to one guy. Who are we writing to? Do you remember who it was written to? Gaius, right. The non-D word, the non-D name. I kept getting him confused. So if I do, I'm so sorry already. We're written to Gaius, and here's what we can um, infer from John's words. Well, first let me tell you this. This is one of the most common names at this time. And so a lot of historians have tried to go back and figure out exactly who this guy was, and they can't because there's so many of them. It's like Jennifer, if you were born in the 70s, okay? That's, that's how that name is, very, very popular. We don't know exactly who he was, but what we can gather from John's words is that he is a faithful friend and John loves him well, right? He even calls him beloved. Um, he's writing him to encourage him to keep up the good work. It's a typical letter, just like the last one was, where it starts with who it's from, goes to who it's to, kind of gives him wishes for welfare, and then we launch into, um, we have a, have a greeting, launch into the welfare of Gaius, and then he closes, okay? So it's typical. Um, probably written to a person that was in Ephesus. Remember at the time, that's where John was, at the island of Patmos, and now he's back in Ephesus. He's kind of the elder over all these churches that are meeting in homes. Some are secret, some are small. Um, so that's probably where it's um, been written, those people, too. This is what I thought was interesting. You know what I realized? Like, you read about those three people, and you know what it kind of gave you? It kind of gave you a glimpse into the church, didn't it? The church scene. It kind of had you pull the curtain back to what that local church looked like. Because all three of the people that are represented in this letter sit in here, don't they? Sit in your church, wherever your church is. It's, it's, it's the way the church is made up. Because guess what? Um, I, the, this, I found this really great quote. You ready? Wherever there are people, there are problems. <laughs> is that a good quote? I think that's anonymous, obviously. Or, or just repeated so many times nobody can actually claim it. Wherever there are people, there are problems. I say that too often. I need to stop. I need more love and grace. I need to quit saying that. But it's true, right? We get to pull the curtain back on kind of how these churches are made up, and there's trouble, and we're going to get into that. Um, this is interesting as well. We see John refer back to deception and corruption that he mentioned in previous letters. There's a thought that it could be that first John letter. He could be referring back to the letter that we wrote. It could be letters that we know nothing about. Um, it's even possible, and this was interesting because we were talking in our small group about who um, Diotrephes, who he was. Like, was he a church? Was he like a bigwig in the church or is he just a dude that kind of created dissension? There's thought that he could have actually been the one um, who received that letter and then never shared it with the church community. And now that's why John is mad about it, 
right? He's pretty mad. So it could have been that. We don't know. The cool thing is when he closes, just like last week in the second um, letter of John, do you remember how he closes? Because he says, I want you to listen with your face. Those are my words, not his. Remember he says, I need to close up this pen and ink thing because I want to come see you face to face. Do you remember that? Well, you know what's kind of funny I found interesting is he closes the same way here. But think about it in this letter because we're talking about um, characters that are in a narrative essentially. And he's giving us, we'll go into it a little bit, that um, Diotrephes was not a good dude, guys. He was making some pretty bad mistakes. So I found it interesting. I read that um, this closing was an encouragement. I'm going to come see you face to face. And it was also a what? A warning. I'm going to come see you face to face. And he's telling him, I'm going to come. And so somebody in the letter is excited. Somebody in the letter probably not so thrilled that he's coming face to face. But that's how much John loves this church and these people, right? He's going to deal with them face to face, not behind, hiding behind a letter. Um, so this letter's included for a reason. So what is it, right? Let's get down to it. What is the reason? Um, well, when I kept going through here and I was looking at the testimony of these three guys, I kept thinking of that awesome classic movie called Three Amigos. And so I, put, I thought, you know, that's a good title, Three Amigos. Well, they're not really. They didn't really. They're not really Three Amigos, are they? One of them, not too much of an amigo. But that's how I thought about it. These three guys where John is basically describing the testimony of three people. Do you think about that? He's talking about testimony, guys. Who am I? How do you define testimony? Who am I? What does the world see in me? Let, me? let me say this. You know what a testimony is not? I'm going to say this in Chris' words, so bear with me. A testimony is not this. It is not a prepared statement. It can be, I suppose. But in this instance, it's not necessarily this prepared statement where I go, hey, um, can you stand up and give your testimony and you tell us about how you met Jesus? That's beautiful and wonderful. But the testimony we're talking about here is, is not just this one-time occurrence, this one thing that happened in your life. You know what else it's not? It's not a eulogy. It's not something that we're going to stand up here when you're gone and we're going to go, oh, let's talk about. I don't want to say anybody's name because that would be so weird. Um, but it's not a eulogy. It's not something we're going to talk about your legacy after you're gone. You know what a testimony is? A testimony is a living, breathing, changing, living out of what you believe. That's your testimony. It is, it is changing all the time, right? You remember I talked a minute ago about 10 years ago, Chris, he would have blasted out something on maybe MySpace. I don't know. <laughs> what would it have been? By, I don't even know. Anyway, I would have blasted something out and I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But I have this changing, living, moving testimony Amen? We all want that, don't we? I want to be leaning closer to God farther away from 10 years ago, Chris. My testimony is always changing. It's the proof or evidence of what you believe. The proof or evidence of what you believe. And so as we enter this letter, we get kind of a testimony of three different guys, don't we? We are left with some understanding of who these people were based on other people's opinions. You think about that? What does God's word have to say about these guys? So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at all three of them. We're going to start with Gaius, and then we're going to go into um, the troublemaker, Diotrephes, and then we're going to end with Demetrius. Um, so let's take a look at that. So verses 5 through 8. So the first uh, four verses are all that greeting. We talked about that. We talked about who it's to and who it's from. Verses 5 through 8 get real specific, don't they, about who we're writing it to. And so I'm going to read those to you, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. Verses Starting in verse 5, it says, um, Beloved, and who's he talking about? Gaius. He's writing to him. This is a letter to this one person, okay? So that's who he's speaking to. It is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, and we may be fellow workers for truth. He's talking specifically about Gaius here. And, and even backing up, if you go back up into verses 2 through 3, he says, Beloved, talking about him again, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. 
as it goes with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Sorry, I backed it up a little bit there. hope that wasn't confusing. But he's talking specifically about Gaius here, and he's talking specifically to him. Do you love that? His encouragement is directly to him, and it's specific about things about Gaius that are different than other, than other people. And they're specific because somebody has testified that we saw that in him. We saw his faith lived out this way. We witnessed his testimony live and in person. So when you look at Gaius and you read through those things, there's really three things that we see about this life that we see demonstrated in his testimony. And the first is this. It's in verses 2 through 3, and it's spiritually healthy. He's spiritually healthy. You find it interesting that um, he's referred to as walking in the truth after we've been talking about love and truth. Like I see that and say, hey, he's got that balance. He's got the balance right right now, doesn't he? Full of love, full of truth. I'll tell you this, he's spiritually healthy. And this is funny because verse 3, the way John refers to him, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Some have, have guessed that maybe John was involved in bringing him to Christ. Is that kind of a neat picture? He loves this guy. And he is like rejoicing greatly because he's seeing what's happening in this testimony, this moving faith that's being lived out in action. In our small group, we had a couple girls say, you know, I think one of the most, um, the most impressive way that I see, um, that I get excited like this for someone else's life to be lived out about Jesus is when you see your kids or when you see young believers that you got to be a part of where they came from and you get so excited, don't you? And that's what John's doing. He's so excited about the spiritual health of his friend. The second thing about Gaius's testimony is this, that he has a good testimony. And it means this, like, okay, John's guys reported back. So, okay, let me stop right there for a second. So when he's talking about um, these strangers, these brothers, it's believed that he's talking about, like, in this day and age, remember the churches are really little and they're meeting in houses and stuff. And so you've got these um, apostles, if you will, that are going out and trying to tell people about Jesus. Right? We're telling the Gentiles about Jesus. We're telling the Jews. We're going out and we're making disciples, making disciples. And so these guys are traveling and they are representative of the church. And nowadays at this church, we would call them missionaries. Don't we send them out? And so it's believed that these people that John's referring to here were maybe missionaries or people that were sent out from John, from the elders, from the church. And when they got here to Gaius, he took good care of them. And that's who these people were. So when he says strangers, he probably didn't know them. Probably didn't know them at all. But here he was being obedient and taking good care of them. He had a good testimony. It was interesting. It says, um, uh, whenever you read through this, I, I, I saw this one commentary said this. It was like, you know, when you have, when you're a leader in a church and you have somebody come up to you and say, that doesn't go to your church, hey, um, does Chris Murphy go to this church? And when the pastor's first thought is a cringe, there's problems, right? That's what's so cool about Gaius is like, you know, when these strangers, these brothers, these missionaries, if you will, came back to John, they're like, hey, man, hey, man, you know that guy, you know that guy, Gaius, he's, he's under your care. You know, John didn't cringe. Is that the feeling you get? You're kind of like, oh, John's like, yeah, I know. He's awesome, right? That's the difference. He has this good testimony that John trusts because these guys have come back and they've reported who he was. He also has a practical ministry. He has a practical ministry. You know what, um, what, how I like to think of practical ministry? Practical ministry. He's good at stacking chairs. Anybody ever done the stacking chairs ministry before? Anybody ever done the break down the tables and roll them away? Mary, I know you have. That is not a glorifying job, is it? Stacking chairs practical ministry. He opened his home, he opened his heart, and he opened his hands. We see that specifically laid out. That could have meant um, that he gave money. It could have meant that he gave them food. It could have meant that he helped with laundry, that he mended things, that he washed. It could have meant that he stacked chairs. It could have meant that he was doing things that nobody else saw, right? 
He had this practical ministry. Remember, the church's plan was to go out and make disciples. And so you know what has to happen when people go out? Lots of stuff has to happen. Anybody ever had been to church and had missionaries come up here and they're asking for money from us, from believers? You know who they're not asking for money from and support from? The people they're going to serve, right? The Gentiles in this situation. We see an example where he says they're not taking stuff from the Gentiles. And you talked about that in your homework, didn't you? It's the church, big C church, that's supporting these missionaries that are going out. That's what Gaius is doing. He's practically ministering to these men who are now going to go out and minister to others. What's the motivation for that? In verse 6, he wants to honor God. In verse 7, he is part of wanting to witness to nonbelievers, those Gentiles. In verse 8, he wants obedience to God. You know, to hear that phrase, fellow workers for the truth, I immediately think about um, I've been fortunate now that my kids are bigger where I've gotten to go on some mission trips. And it's cool stuff, guys. I highly recommend it. But when I was in the uh, trenches with my little rugrats, like some of you are, you, you aren't able to, you know, pack up the backpack and go across the world and, and sweat and get bitten by bugs and serve Jesus, are you? You're just not. But you know what you can do? You can be a fellow worker for Christ because you can support and love and show hospitality to those that are being sent out, Right? And that's what Gaius was doing. Um, the testimony of Diotrephes, Diotrephes. Okay, verses 9 through 10. So we get into this nasty guy, right? And as Amy, I think it was Amy, it said this, all these D you know, names were so confusing. But here's where John gets very specific. And I thought this was so funny. I think somebody said, might have been Shauna said, it's, he sounds like an old man. He's like so cranky. Well, he was an old man. And he was cranky, I bet. But he does not mince words, does he? He talks about Diotrephes this way. Verses 9 through 10, he says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Ooh, that sounds good. Talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. What in the world is happening? Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point to people in this room. One thing to know that we don't have, any, we don't have anything here that leads us to believe that he's talking about those false teachers here. He's not necessarily talking about somebody that's not a true believer in Jesus Christ. He's talking about a troublemaker. Got any of those? Okay, you can point. No, don't point. He's a troublemaker. He's stirring stuff up, right? And John does what? He calls him on it, doesn't he? He calls him on it. Um, a couple of things that he brings out here about the testimony of Diotrephes. How about, how about this? Let's stop for just a second. I don't remember this name anywhere else in the Bible. It could be because I don't know a lot of stuff. But this is what's written about this guy. This is what's remembered about this guy. Is that he was about the division he was about inciting division in the church. He was about rejecting John. He was like a dictator in the church, wasn't he? He rejected John, verse 9. He lied about John in verse 10. He rejected John's dudes, didn't he? He rejected these guys that were going out to make better and fo better followers of Jesus Christ. And he rejected them. And then what did he do? He punished people for loving on them and welcoming them. That's who Diotrephes was. Found this quote by Warren Wearsby. It says this. That when we um, have, have disagreements with someone, like, like I said, this guy is not necessarily a non-believer. We have reason to believe he's a believer in the church. But he, for whatever reason, has issue with John, the beloved disciple. Seriously. And he has issue with these missionaries that are coming. And he has issue with the way the church is doing things. And I don't want people to do that. And I think they should do it my way, right? And that's what he's saying. And so let me, thinking along those lines, consider this. That Warren Wearsby says this about that dissension that happens within the church. He says, this does not mean that we always cooperate only with those believers who interpret Scripture exactly as we do. I'm going to repeat that because for some reason that feels like we need to hear that again. This does not mean that we cooperate only with those believers who interpret Scripture exactly as we do. 
because even good and godly people disagree on some matters such as church government or prophecy. All true Christians can agree on the fundamental doctrines of the faith and in love give latitude for disagreement on other matters. Sound familiar? Sound familiar to me? This guy disagrees with what's happening in his church, and so the way he's going to deal with it is he's going to get in the way of God's work. Okay? Um, he, he also disciplined those who tried to help these missionaries. That's the testimony of Diotrephes. That's what we know about this guy forever. Close the book. Well, there's a lot of these people running around. A lot of us. The third testimony that John shares with us is the testimony of Demetrius. And that's verses 11 through 14. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read that. But I want you to hear one thing about this guy. You hear one thing about him? Just one thing. He is a man worth imitating. Amen? He is a man worth imitating. John shares this man, this testimony of this man and says, Hey, Gaius, that's who we want to be like. We want to be like him. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, that we want to stir one another to love and to do good works. We want to support one another. It, and it also, if you'll notice, it also doesn't say, and Demetrius, because Demetrius agrees with every single thing I say, then um, he has a good testimony. It doesn't say that, does it? Because I guarantee you there are things that he doesn't agree with. But he is a man worth imitating. Here's the principle for this section before we move on. Um, the principle is this, that your testimony is living and changing. It is not a eulogy. Your testimony is living and changing. It is not a eulogy. Your testimony tells the world what you really believe. And your testimony should be worth imitating. We want to be Demetrius in the story, don't we? We want to be Demetrius, not Diotrephes. Should be worth imitating. Listen, as we get ready to close behind schedule, it's normal. I got something important to say, and I got seven minutes to say it. Testimony of Gaius, testimony of um, Diotrephes, testimony of Demetrius, testimony of you, testimony of me. What does the world see? Isn't it interesting that this week is the week that we have to ask that question? I just kind of don't want to ask that question right now, but we need to ask it. we got to look in the mirror. We've got to ask that question. What does the world see when it sees me? What does God want for me, for my testimony? I've got six things. Six things. Write these six things down because, guys, I... Um, I feel like through the book of the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we have heard these things over and over again and he wraps it up with a bow on it and says, "Hey guys, I've given you three people and their testimony. Now what? Now what about yours?" Three things. What does God want for my testimony? The first, to build a foundation of truth. Heard that before? Build a foundation of truth. I heard it this way, let truth course through the bloodstream of your thinking, your believing, your acting, and your personality. Talking about truth right now. It should be the lifeblood of how you think, how you act, how you believe, your personality, how you speak. Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3 says this, that you are to delight and meditate in the word of God. It doesn't say read it and then throw it at people and use it as a weapon, does it? No, it says you are to read it and you are to delight in it and you are to meditate on it. You remember what meditate means if you were in Psalms? Remember what that means? It's kind of like you take it in and then you think on it and you pray on it. And then you take it in again and then you think on it and you pray on it. Right? It's an over and over thing. It's not a one time. The second thing is this. Uh, we are to be friend makers, not just soul winners. We are to be friend makers, not just soul winners. Full of love. Full of truth. Both. John, Gaius, Demetrius, they were both, weren't they? 
They weren't just about, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, and I'm going to agree with whatever you want me. I'm going to chameleon, because when I'm with you, I'm going to agree with you about this, because I want you to feel loved. But then when I'm over here with this person, I'm going to agree with them, because I want them to feel loved. Because then you know what happens? Then these people get together, and they're like, she is cray-cray, don't they? And then you know what else they say? And I say this with all seriousness. Then they say, she has no truth that she stands on. None. Because she just changes to whatever makes it easy. She's a friend maker. She is not a soul winner. The third thing is this, that we need to put truth and love into action. Truth and love into action. Remember in 1 John uh, 3, 18, it said this, Not only in word, but also in deed. Not only in word, but also in deed. In James, he likes to talk a lot about being doers of the word. Remember when we talked over and over and over and over, John says that our obedience shows proof about what we believe. How we live is proof, right? Testimony. So we got to put it into action. We can't just say words and, and write blogs and do that stuff. We've got to live it out. I think about this often because I'm very, I feel um, convicted about it because, you know, the one thing, and I keep talking about social media, and I'm sorry, and if you're not on it, congratulations, don't get on it, you really don't want to, but I do want you to think about this for a minute. There's so many people in so many stages of our lives that we are connected to these days, right? I live in Flower Mound, Texas. I've lived here since 1971. Don't look at me weird if you weren't born then. I've lived here a long time, and so I laugh because, and some of you really laugh because you knew me back then, but I laugh because I'll go to Tom Thumb or something, and I'll run into people, and I'll be like, which part of my life is this person from? <laughs> is this person my mom's friend when I was elementary? Was it at the Fighting Farmer Games? Was this person, um, did I do play group with them? I can't, you know, it's so many different places. And then you know what my next thought is? Oh, God, please don't let it be then. Please don't let it be, oh, God, please don't let it be during that time. Please don't let it be during that time, right? Anybody have those moments in your life where if God were to stand before the throne and go, hey, guess what, Chris, I've got really bad news. I'm going to cherry pick one moment out of your life and judge you by all of the whole thing by this one moment. It's, it's scary, isn't it? And so when I think about putting truth and love into action, I think like, okay, I want my life outside of this place. I want it to be consistent with what I say when I'm in this place. If I look you in the eye and I know what you believe about Jesus Christ, I want to say the same thing to the girl who has no idea who he is. It may sound a little different. I mean, come on, guys. Delivery has to be a little different. But I want to be this same person, the same person I am on Facebook that I am when you see me here, the same person I am at Tom Thumb. You know what I'm saying? Truth and love in action is the only way to do that. You can't just take this and have these prayers and then go out and live this life that's completely dichotomous and different. Can't do it. That is not a testimony. That is like a death sentence. <clears throat> the fourth thing that I think God wants us to do with our testimonies is I think he wants us to stack chairs. I think he wants it. I think he wants that. I think Gaius wasn't a teacher and he wasn't a leader, but you know what he was? He served selflessly, didn't he? He lifted up those who God put in a position to minister. And can I just tell you right now, um, I, can I just tell you right now that uh, this is a heavy time to be in leadership at a church. Not me. I'm talking about the bigwigs like Dawn. It's a heavy time it's a heavy time, and it's hard, and um, we need to lift them up. Amen? We do. Because all the, the, the fighting that's going on in, down in the mud, you know who gets all the fallout, who deals with all the shrapnel? It's our leaders, our pastors, who serve us well, quietly, faithfully. I don't even know why I said all that, but it's important. Gaius wasn't a teacher, he wasn't a leader, but he selflessly lifted them up with hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 says this, don't neglect strangers, be, they may be angels unaware. How about I change it just a little bit to say this, um, sometimes they are angels that we are aware of too, right? And we still ignore them, and we still do badly. 
We need to love them. We need to lift them up. We need to stack chairs when we're supposed to be stacking chairs, guys. And sometimes you're not. Sometimes you got a microphone. But I'll tell you what, the chair stacking thing is way more important. We need to surround, this is a fifth thing, we need to surround ourselves with Demetrius's. We need to surround ourselves with Demetrius's. Listen, you need to be surrounded by people that are worth following. Do you hear me? We have to be, guys. If we are not surrounded by truth and wisdom, then where am I looking for my truth and wisdom? Back to the internet? Oh, God, that's painful. Truth and wisdom. We need to have Demetrius's in our lives. You don't have one? Come find me after. I know about a hundred and something that are in this room that could be that for you. You've got to have those people in your lives that you look at them and go, that's how I want my testimony to look. That's who God's pushing me toward. The sixth thing is this, and this is how I'm going to leave you today. Will you, um, will you choose to have a little eye revival? A little eye revival. And here's what I mean by that. John 3.30 says this in a nutshell. I need more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. I need a lot more of Jesus and less of me. Philippians 2, 7 through 9 says, what does it say about who Jesus was? You know who he was? He was a man of no reputation. Why? Because he was pointing to his father. That's who we're supposed to be. I see this and I think to myself, I want to love like lowercase i. I want to quit capitalizing my i because I get really selfish and I start thinking about myself in a really high lofty way when I'm thinking capital I. Now, I want to have a revival where we start looking at ourselves as the chair stackers, man. Jesus, I want to stack chairs for you. And if nobody ever sees a chair I stack, I want to do it for you because I'm a little I. And I love you and you are the big I. You are the I am. Jesus came to speak truth even when it hurt, even when it was difficult. He did. He came to love by extending grace. He had a towel in his hand and he washed the feet of sinful deceivers. That's who he was. Full of grace, full of truth. Listen, um, when you leave today, I want you to do this. These papers, remember when we did this? If you weren't here last week, we filled out a piece of paper and we said, Lord, I need more truth to balance out my grace truth thing. I need more love. I need more grace. These are prayers. Don't forget what we need. Don't forget to pray for your friends sitting next to you who needs what you don't lack. Okay? We need to pray for each other. We need to lift each other up. Let's listen to the words of John and know that this is a church, the Big C Church, that is here to point to Jesus. I'm going to pray like a super duper fast prayer. All right, ready? Dear Father God, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he came to live and to die for me, for all of us. We are a mess. We need you desperately. Amen. Run to get your children. Like, like sprint super fast. You're not running. I mean, run and hug the teachers. Beg for their forgiveness.